What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark. Well, good morning, sir. Uh, morning. It's been a little while. Been a while, yeah. We uh, we were off kind of last week and didn't catch up. Well, we we caught up, but we didn't do a, a, a deal and uh, a hive jive and yeah. Yeah, we did. We had. Um, you and I haven't haven't actually got to sit down and talk, but we did put out our interview that we had done with Hives for Heroes, and uh, we got actually a pretty good response from that. A um, bunch of people out there really appreciated that we had put it out there, and um, I've got one little feedback thing here real quick that I was going to read that one of our listeners sent in, and uh, I'll leave names and stuff out of it because I didn't specifically ask permission on this one. I just read it uh, yesterday evening, so... But um, he says, hey, guys, I just wanted to say thank you. I am a newbie to beekeeping, and I find it incredibly therapeutic. I was diagnosed with PTSD about three years ago. I was a volunteer firefighter and EMT for 15 years, and I'll leave the rest of that story alone. But I started listening to the podcast to learn how the heck exactly to do it. I started at the early shows and started working my way up, but then I heard about your guys' Hive for Heroes episode. Wow. I knew that there was a reason that I started doing this crazy hobby and it just keeps growing. I'm not military, but my heart goes out to those men and women who keep us safe and free. So kudos to them. Uh, let's see. The help and their and therapy that men and women in the military, law enforcement, and firefighters get in this country is absolutely a joke. It's the small things that people like Hives for Heroes do that actually make the difference for these heroes. I listen to your show every night and I love them all and I am learning so much. Thank you very much. Um, so we got a lot of feedback that was very, very much in line with that from that episode. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that had reached out and said, you know, I know somebody that this could help or I know somebody who can help and who could potentially volunteer. So hopefully that uh, finds a, a good resonation with people out there. Um couple of other things real quick, just a uh, update on Patreon. Um, been a few weeks back when we gave our less little update there, and I, I think I have a correction to make. I may not have, but I want to just in case. I believe that I said thank you to David R, and it should have been David D. <laughs> so my bad on that if I did say that the wrong way. Um, thank you to Jeff B. Thank you to Jared F. And thank you to Nick H., um, those are all the, the new people that have signed up since our last mention of Patreon. So thank you guys again on that. And then, uh, for everybody else out there, it is that time of year when we can start seriously thinking about, if not actually doing honey extracting. Mm-hmm. It's time to extract that honey. So, um, you and I went and we looked through your hives and we went and identified, you know, what could be extracted. And one of the things that I kind of wanted to reiterate to all the listeners out there is when you're doing this, you need to make sure that you've met a few prerequisites before you get too far ahead of yourself or, or get, you know, overly zealous. So number one is to make sure that there truly is excess honey before you start doing any of the actual honey extracting. So for us, 
Um, I'll let you answer this question. But for us down here, what box would you be able to extract um, based on how many boxes are set up in a colony? Second one above the uh, medium, it's on top of the brood box. <laughs> I think you made that sound as, as confusing as possible. <laughs> but the one right, so, above the, right the one above the medium, it's on top of the brood box. Yeah, but what if people don't use a medium? See, that's why that's why you make it got to sound more generic than that. So it's really the third box. Third box. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of what style of boxes you're doing, um, at the very minimum, you don't get to take anything unless you have stores in the third box and up. So if you are doing a double deep setup and your area needs at least 80 pounds of honey to survive the winter, that means they need one full deep of honey. So you would need the third box to then go through and actually start being yours. If you live in an area where they need even more, well, then that third box may still be the bees and you need the fourth box and up. For us here in Central Texas, it's still the third box and up, but our first box is sometimes or usually a deep box. The second box is typically a medium box, and they only need 40 pounds of honey to survive the dearth in the winter here, so that medium box is plenty sufficient. So anything above that second box is then your honey harvest. Now, the next thing that you want to make sure that you do is make sure that the comb inside there is at least 80% capped honey. Mm -hmm. So if you pull out a frame and it's 50-50, one side's completely uncapped and the other side's completely capped, you don't want to extract that. Now, when I'm saying uncapped, I mean uncapped nectar, not just empty dry cells, but literally uncapped nectar. Um, if you do find that's the case and you're looking through your box and say you've got a 10-frame a box and three frames in the center are solid capped honey, but the other frames, the other seven frames, are not. Say they're they're partial, where 50% of it, either both on the same sides or one side versus the other side, is capped versus open nectar, then it's not time to extract that box yet. And what you need to do is just close it back up and continue waiting until the bees have fully sufficiently dehydrated that nectar down into honey, and then they can go through and cap it off and you know that it's actually ripe and then you can go and extract that. So as an example, we were out at the farm and we went through and we looked and we ended up having a couple of top bars because um, the, the goal was, well, we could potentially extract some of the top bar stuff today. Mm -hmm. And we went out there and we looked and there were a couple of them that still had several bars of comb that were open, uncapped nectar. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, oh, well, in this case, we don't need to go through and, and harvest just yet. One of the other things that I did notice that really caught me off guard, especially considering how hot it is, and I don't know that it's going to go anywhere, but my mesquite trees out there on the farm have sent out new buds, and they're actually getting ready to bloom again. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. Um, but I don't know if that bloom will actually be sustained because right now um, our temperatures are a hundred degrees plus, and that's the actual temperature, not the heat index. Right. So today the forecasted high for Austin is 108 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's rough. Um, that's over 40 degrees Celsius, I believe. So the uh, and that's again that's not including the heat index. The heat index can put it up there, you know, into the hundred and teens kind of range. So 
it, I don't know that the the bloom itself will actually last, but there could be even more nectar coming in. So um, that's the other thing. Now, the very last little thing is checking the moisture percent. And to do that, you can, on a capped cell, you can kind of get yourself like a, a Q-tip or a stick or something or your finger and you can gouge in just a little bit so that you get some of the honey to run out. And take a drop of that honey and you put it on what's called a refractometer. And refractometers typically you can find from the major beekeeping suppliers. Uh, there's there's a cheap version that is usually $55 to $75, but you found it online um, selling for like $35. So that's even better. But a simple refractometer kind of acts like a periscope. And you go through and you put, there's a uh, like slanted front to it. And then the other end has like a monocle that you put over your your eye to look through, like a little telescope kind of thing. And you put a drop of that nectar or honey onto the center of the slide, and then there's a plastic plate that presses down over it, and you press it down until it's as thin as you can get it, and it's completely spread out over the blue section of the screen that you dropped it on. Mm -hmm. And then you look at it, hold it up to the light, and look through the, the end of it, and there's a line in there, and you've got a bricks index and then you've got a moisture index. And bricks is telling you the sugar amount in something. The moisture index is telling you the water amount in something. And what you're doing is you're looking at the water amount. And there's going to be a blue line. And everything above that is going to be blue. And everything below it's going to be white. And what you want to see is that that blue line comes to hopefully 18% or less moisture content. If your honey is at 18% moisture content, it is fully ripe. It is good to go. If it's not, if it's at 20% moisture content and you go ahead and extract it, you could run the risk of your honey actually fermenting. Even if it's sealed airtight, it's going to ferment and it could do it quicker than you would necessarily want because that moisture content is high enough. It can allow some of the yeast molecules that are in there to actually bloom and, and start going through the process of fermentation. So that would not be great. So those are the three things. Make sure that you're that you well, make sure that you've left enough for the bees or that there is enough to harvest in the first place. Make sure that 80% of the every frame that you're taking out or every comb that you're taking out, at least 80% of it is capped ripe honey and not open nectar. And then make sure that your moisture content is 18% or less. If you've met all of those things, you can now go extract your honey. So on yours. When we looked, you had the the one box on the one hive that we took the picture of and posted out there for everybody. Mm -hmm. That box is fully capped. Mm -hmm. So that box can be extracted. And one of the other things that, that comes into play of this is what is, if it's a Langstroth, what is that frame? Was it a solid plastic foundation? Was it a wired wax foundation? Or was it raw foundation? mean or no foundation foundationless natural comb um and in the case of the one that you were holding i don't think it had wire it might have had two running across the center but it didn't have like the up and down wire which means that it is probably raw comb and if it's got the two running across the center you can put it in an extractor and you can extract it but you got to go kind of slow however with that specific frame that we had in the picture if you look at it it's only attached to the edges of the framework in like three or four little spots. Mm -hmm. It's attached all the way across the top and then the, the top quarter coming down the sides. And then after that, it's kind of open and they didn't, you know, they attached it here and there, but it's not fully drawn out, which means if you did put it in an extractor, 
even with the couple of wire running through the center, it could actually do what they call blowing out, which means that the extractor spins it so fast that the wax loses its structure and, and blows apart. And then that's not pretty because then it leaves chunks of crap all over your extractor. The extractor suddenly is off balance and it starts doing like a thunk, 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 you know, kind of like a, a wash machine that's off of balance. Um, but yeah, so so that box in to use as an example, that one could be extracted. Um, and I gave you a cool little toy that is one of the rare times that the BS ads that you see on like Facebook and Instagram is actually legit. But and I don't it doesn't have necessarily a specific name. It's just a it's a frame uncapper or a comb uncapper. And it's the one where if you see the ad it says at the bottom of it, every beekeeper should have one of these. And it shows this lady and she's got this wooden handle tool that kind of comes out and then spreads out into like a square. And it's got teeth and a flat plate. Mm -hmm. And she just puts it in the comb and just pulls it straight across the comb. And it cuts very smooth and cleanly all the capping off of that section. And then you just move to the next section. You can actually uncap a frame regardless if it is drawn out past the framework or not. You can uncap a frame in under a minute. And it's really awesome. It takes just a little bit of finesse to be able to hold it at the right angle to go through and do it. Um, but that's what I got a couple of those last year, and I absolutely loved them. But I wanted to test them because, it, you know, you see that stuff online and you're like, yeah, whatever. Um, but I wanted to test it, and I did test it last year, and I absolutely love it. Um, you can find them, I think, on eBay, and you can find them in other places. There's a couple of knockoff versions, and I've got one of each, and they both work just fine. So, um, but... You can use that to go through and uncap your frames. And the the reasoning on using that versus a hot knife or some of the other things, you can use, like, there's lots of different tools to do for uncapping, right? If they've drawn their comb out past the framework, which that, you know, the whole uh, thing we ran into where, like, one of the people that you bought the hives from only uses nine frames in a 10-frame box? Mm -hmm. And do you remember what I told you the purpose of that was? So they would fill it on out further. Yes, but you're not supposed to do that in your brood box. You're supposed to do it in your honey supers, and and that that individual had done it everywhere. Um, but yeah, the whole point of that is you you put nine frames in a honey super, and this is not. I'm not saying you need to do this. It's just that some people do it. You put nine frames in a ten frame box, or seven frames in an eight frame box, only in your honey supers. And you space them out perfectly, and then the bees will draw the wax out further on every frame so that they still have the bee space between the combs, which make the comb wider. And that the whole purpose of that is simply because when you go through and you cut the comb off of there, it's easier to cut it with, you can use like a bread knife, and you can just lay it on the edge of the framework and then just saw back and forth and go down through it and cut that off flush with the wooden frame. Whereas... Sometimes when they draw out the, the comb on a frame, they actually draw it off within the framework, which means that it doesn't come out past it, so you can't really get that bread knife in there to cut it off. That's when you've got to switch over and use like a scraper, which basically just looks like um, a supersized version of a hair pick, kind of with metal teeth, basically, that you just drag across the cells and kind of bust them open. Mm -hmm. There's another one that's a roller, or and it kind of has spikes on it, and you roll across it, and it's the same purpose. It punctures the cells and breaks the cappings open. Or you can use this uncapper, and I really love this little uncapper. It does really cool. Um, but to do your extraction, now you just got a brand new extractor. 
That's the pause for you to wake up. <laughs> oh, I'm sitting here listening to you. You're taking a nap. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Shannon? <laughs> I mean, we're all tired here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you just got a new extractor. Yeah. Vivo 848. Uh, yeah, the Vivo... Uh, B004 or something like that is, is what it's titled as. 4E. 4E, yeah. Now, that that is a, that's the one that we had for the club or have for the club that I used to be the president of. And so I have gotten to use it. I love it. Um, it is, for the price, it is the best electric extractor out there that you can get that is still small enough for, you know, kind of a hobbyist, but big enough that it can do okay for somebody that has several hives. Um, the 4.8 indicates that it holds four deep frames mm -hmm. or eight medium or eight shallow. Mm -hmm. Now, for you, something that you'll need to know, if you're extracting a deep frame, which I don't think you have any deep frames to extract, so this, this probably won't come into play, but if you're extracting a deep in that style of extractor, it is a tangential extractor which means you have to extract each side separately mm -hmm. because the frame side of the frame faces the side of the drum. And so when it spins, it only throws out that one side, but the inside doesn't come out of there. Mm -hmm. And so anytime you're, you're loading your extractor, you want to make sure that it is level and you want to make sure that it's balanced. So you're going to put in, as you're pulling these frames and you're looking at them, you can go through and kind of sort them out. Okay, this one is fully capped and it's nice and heavy, so I'm going to put it in slot number one on the far right. And this other one is fully capped and fully heavy, so it's going to go in slot number three on the far left. But these two are kind of lighter and they're not fully capped, like there's some empty dry comb in there. So I'm going to put them in spaces two and spaces four, so that way your heaviest are directly across from each other and your lightest are directly across from each other. And that keeps your extractor balanced. If you just willy nilly go and put them all in and you end up with all the heaviest on one side, the extractor will literally walk out of the room with you if you're not bolting it to the floor. So that can be a challenge for sure. Um, but you go through and you can use it to do the, the four frames, but if you're doing shallows or mediums, it'll actually hold eight of them because you can put them standing up and with the basically the top of the frame facing the sidewall instead of the side of the frame and that is called radial extracting and that means that when it spins it extracts both sides at the exact same time which goes faster obviously um but you get them you get them uncapped and usually what i do personally um everybody can make kind of their own little setups but you need to have an uncapping station and that can be a tupperware container that's fairly deep especially if you've gotten multiple boxes of comb to do. You get a Tupperware container that's fairly deep, get you a board that you can set across the center of the container, and you're going to use that as basically your stand to prop your frame up on. And then you use whatever type of uncapping tool you're going to do, and you go through and you uncap each side of that frame, and the cappings and the honey that comes out as you're doing that fall down into the Tupperware container. So that's kind of your little catch bin for that stuff. And then you take that frame and you immediately put it in the extractor in an appropriate position based on its weight. And you continue doing that until you filled your whole extractor up. Then you run the extractor. You turn the extractor on low 
and you let it get going and pick up some speed and then you very slowly increase the speed that way it stays balanced as you go and as you as you spin it out of there so going backwards ken let's go back here real quick because we we jump straight ahead to like literally how you put it in the extractor and what you do mm -hmm. but getting it off of the hives themselves that's really the tricky part so let's go back real quick and talk about that so you've got Langstroth boxes right. that we'll, we'll use as the example for this one. Mm -hmm. um, there are basically three main methods um, that you can use to get the bees out of the box. One of them is called a bee escape, and it is a little contraption that actually snaps into place over the opening of the inner cover. And what you would end up doing is the boxes that you're going to extract, you're going to take the inner cover... And if it has an entrance, you want to make sure that entrance is facing down. And you want to make sure that the bee escape is on the top so that the entrance is facing down so that this will work properly. And you're going to take that inner cover and you're going to put it below any of the boxes that you plan to extract. Mm -hmm. And then you set those boxes back on it and you put the lid on the top and then you give them a day. And what's going to happen is throughout that day... The foragers and the workers that are up in the honey super are going to leave. They're going to go down through that bee escape, and the bee escape becomes a one-way gate or a one-way door. So they can exit the supers through the bee escape back into the main colony so that they can get food and so that they can, you know, be warm and all that. Mm -hmm. But they cannot re-enter the honey super because the bee escape prevents any bees from getting into it. They can only leave it. And so you leave it a day. And then you go back out there, and there shouldn't be very many, if any, bees left in the supers, so you can take those boxes off. The other method is called a fume board. And a fume board basically looks like a telescoping cover that is, it doesn't have the wood, though, in the for the top of it. What it has is just that sheet of metal running across the top, and then there's usually a felt pad or cloth that is attached to that underside of that lid on the metal. And you would take a chemical substance or a, an organic chemical substance such as Fisher's Be Quick, Be Gone, Honey Bandit, um, any of these types of sprays that are made for honey extracting. Honey extracting. Um, what you would end up doing is you you lightly mist the fume board and then put that back on top of the hive. And the sun shining on top of the metal lid is going to heat up that that felt pad underneath there, and it will make the fumes come out and go down, and it will actually chase the bees from those top boxes. If you've got five or six boxes stacked up, you put it on the very top one, They within a couple of minutes, they will have left that top box mostly. You can then take that entire box off and move the fume board down one more to continue chasing them down. But... The disadvantage to a fume board and something that everybody needs to be cautious of is that if you put too much spray on the pad and it is really hot outside or and or you leave it on there too long, you can actually force the colony to abscond like they will all literally leave the colony. So you don't want to do that. That's not a, a great way to um, extract your honey. But the last method, which can actually be used in conjunction with the first two is by using a blower, like literally like a leaf blower. And you would pick the box up and you stand it on its end so that you're looking through all the frames and you run the blower through there so that it blows all the bees out. But you want to blow from the bottom up 
so that it's going with the angle of the comb. Instead of blowing into the comb, it blows past the comb. And uh, you blow from the bottom up out the top as it's standing on its end, basically. And you can blow all the bees out of it. That does get a lot of bees flying around, plus the blower makes a lot of noise, which gathers a lot of attention from the bees, but it's one method you can do. Um, on the other ones, if you've gone through and you've either done the bee escape or you've done the fume board and you take the box off and you look and there's still a bee or two in there, pull the frame out and you can, usually if you work in tandem with a partner, this goes better, but have another box setting aside perhaps and just as an empty box, pull one frame out and have somebody with a clean bee brush and very gently brush off the couple of bees that may still be on there, put it into the empty box and you repeat that process for every frame and then you take the empty or you take the box that is now full of comb and you carry it over and you put it into whatever you're transporting them in. Put it into if you're at home, your little wagon, if you're, you know, got a bee yard that's further out, put them into the bed of the truck or into whatever vehicle, you know, on a trailer, whatever you're doing. Set them on there and you want to have a base to catch any honey that drips out of them. So you, sometimes I'll use a lid upside down, basically, and I set the box in that first and then you want to cover the top of the box. Because otherwise, the bees that are flying around now find a free food source and you're going to end up getting a bunch of bees back in there and you don't want to do that. So cover it up. You can cover it up with uh, a, like a piece of burlap, with a blanket, with a tarp, with a lid, you know, anything just to keep the bees from getting inside there, keep them out. That's usually the best case scenario. And you, you just keep repeating this process until you have pulled all the boxes and all of the comb that you need to. And you go over and you get those all stacked up and ready to go back for your honey harvest to be transported to wherever that extraction location is going to be. Now, if you're doing raw comb and you've got like a top bar, well, then instead of stacking boxes and such, you're literally going to have five gallon buckets and or other containers. So for me, if I'm doing cut comb honey and I know it, I've already got a cutting board and I've already got my little patterns and stuff on it so that I know that that comb is going to come out like I need it to. And I pull out the bar and I lay it on that cutting board and I have a very clean, sharp knife and a, it's a fillet knife, actually. And I cut through the comb off of the bar and then the bar immediately goes back into the colony. And then the comb gets cut into the exact size sections that I need and they get stuck inside of a Tupperware container that's designed to fit. You know, I bought it specifically to fit the size of the comb. And I fill that whole container up with these sections of comb that are already ready to go in the jars, put the lid on it, and then it goes into an ice chest because it is hot as hell out here and I don't want my comb melting either. So I put it in that ice chest and then that's kind of the process for that. If you're just doing crush and strain, then you have a five gallon bucket and you cut the comb off into the bucket and immediately put the lid on it. And so again, working in tandem works really well. You have somebody pick up the bar and hold it. The other person brushes the bees off and then you hold the bar over the top of the bucket. They cut the comb, the comb falls down in the bucket and then that person immediately puts a lid on the bucket and you put the bar back and grab the next bar. Um, and then seal the bucket up, put it into the vehicle to be transported back for your extraction location. So same kind of concept, but just a couple little tweaks here and there for that. So when you get back home and you've gone through, and again, if you're doing the Langstroths, you go through and you have to determine if it's got a foundation or a wire structure and it's fully drawn out, it can go in the extractor. If it doesn't, it needs to be crush and strain. Or if it's brand new, fresh white wax, it can be cut comb honey. But you only want to use brand new virgin wax that was just drawn this year that has never had any brood laid in it whatsoever. And if you're ever curious, you can hold that frame up or hold that piece of comb up to the light 
And when the light shines through it, you should be able to see a solid color all the way across it. Now, if there's some real dark contrast in the center, like real dark, that's been used for brood. You don't want to use that comb for comb honey. Um, it's just not a, a fun experience to go through and eat that. It kind of takes away from it. So once you get everything in there and you go through, you get your extractor loaded again, you start it off slow, kick it up and you kind of get it going faster and faster and faster until you get to that max speed or about, you know, 75% of the max speed spins all the honey out. You let it run for five to 10 minutes, depending on the extractor to make sure it truly has all the honey out of there. And then most of the extractors are designed so that the bottom of them is kind of this uh, conical shape that comes down and the honey gate is down there towards the bottom, but they can actually hold a full extraction or two of honey before it gets up to where the actual frame spinning parts are that hold the frames. And you want to stop or at least open the honey gate prior to the honey actually getting so full that it's going to start messing with the actual rack that spins inside there. And so most of the extractors, again, are tall enough that you can stick a five-gallon bucket underneath them, and you're going to want to strain the honey as it comes out of there because it's going to have bits of wax and bits of debris and other things like that in it as it comes out. So usually you can have a five-gallon bucket, and you can get yourself one of the honey strainers, or you can use a paint strainer, which is a very thin mesh cloth that goes inside of and over a bucket. And if you do the cloth, you want to make sure that you somehow secure it to the top of the bucket so that it doesn't go all the way to the bottom. You want it to act as just a little droop at the top so that as the honey runs through it, it can separate and then go to the bottom of the bucket and the, the mesh holds everything else at the top, all the debris up at the top of that. So, but you put, if you have the pale version of the strainer, it just sets in top of the five gallon bucket. It works perfectly. You slide that underneath your honey gate you open the honey gate and you might need to adjust like how far open it is because you don't want it to come out so fast that it overfills the strainer before the honey can filter through it. Um, but you want it to be a steady flow coming out of there. So you have that going on and you do that until that bucket is completely full or well to the bottom of the strainer full anyway. Then you're going to stop. You're going to let the strainer finish out and then you'll put the strainer into a new bucket and immediately put the lid on the bucket of full honey and seal it airtight and just set it off to the side. You'll repeat that process until you've got all your extracting done, but the bucket itself that you set aside, you wanna leave it alone for at least a day because what's gonna happen is any microscopic little pieces of wax are gonna to float to the very top of the honey as well as the air bubbles and any larger, heavier debris that may have passed through the strainer is gonna settle all the way to the bottom. So you want it to set and you want it to continue doing, it's like the final stage of filtration and, and separation. You want it to do that. Once it has, before you go through and do your bottling, you'll open that lid and take a piece of saran wrap, just basically clear cellophane, and you lay it over the top of the surface of the honey and press it down, and then you peel it off, and it takes off that entire top layer of foam and bubbles and wax, and then you just throw that away. Now your bucket is good to go. You can turn around and pour it into another container that it has a honey gate on it so that you can go through and do your bottling. And that's kind of that process of how that would work. But this whole process makes a huge mess because you have your Tupperware container that you've been cutting all your cappings into that's full of cappings and honey. That container can then be put into a strainer or done. It's, it's usually a little bit better to do it the way that I do the crush and strain. So I've got like a double five gallon bucket set up. One of the buckets has holes in it 
and I can set that on top of the of a lid that I've got a hole cut in the center of that lines up. And then that goes on top of my bucket that has the strainer and that will hold the honey. And you can put this heavy material in there, like the crush and strain from the comb or all of the cappings and everything. And then it, it just gravity goes through and pulls the honey down. They go through the holes in the bottom of the bucket. Then they go through the strainer and then you've got the nice clean honey at the bottom. But that's how you can go through and kind of make sure that you've got it all good to go and cleaned up and you've kept every little bit of honey you possibly could, even from the cappings. Now, those cappings are beautiful white cappings most of the time, and they make amazing wax for other products. So you can then take that and you can spread it out and put it out for either the bees to rob it and clean it out, or you can just fill it with water and, and slush it around and rinse it a couple of times so that you've got clean cappings. And then you can take those clean cappings and melt them down and use those for candles and lip balms and salves and all that fun stuff. Your container that they were originally in can also be set out and let the bees clean it out. Keep in mind that if you do something like this and you're doing open feeding, yes, you do run the risk of potential disease contamination from bee to bee, mite contamination from bee to bee, and you're going to be alerting all the other pollinators and all the other predators that there's this food source out there. So not necessarily advocating that, you know, you should open feed, but at the same time, not saying that I don't do it sometimes either. So if you do it, just be responsible and be aware of, of what's going on. But you can set that out and you can let the colony go through and clean that back out and take the rest of the honey back to their house. And they will get, it'll turn into a feeding frenzy and you've got to make sure that I usually tilt it so that it runs thin because if you don't and it's pulled up in a big puddle, they'll actually drown themselves because they'll stand on top of each other and kind of drown everybody out of there. So um, you can do that with a container. Some people do the exact same thing with the extractor. They put the whole extractor out there and let the bees clean out the inside of the extractor. Um, or you can go through and spray it out with a power hose and then turn around and you want to wash it with soap and water. Get any of the residue and, and everything from the honey out of there. Get it all cleaned up, get it rinsed out, get it dried, and make sure that you do dry it because you don't want water stains and you don't want you know it to eventually rust if there's any little nicks or anything in it. Um, your frames, though, now you've gone through and you've done the extraction and you've got all these frames and they're all wet, empty frames now. You can take those back to your colonies and put them back on your hive and the hive will happily go in there and clean up all that nectar and pull that back down. Now, if there is still a flow going on, they may also start putting food sources back into some of those frames. So you have to be careful if you're done for the year and you're taking them off permanently, then you just put them back on there for a little bit. Or you can actually, again, kind of goes back over to that cautionary open feeding thing, but you can actually take them out to the bee yard, have them far away from your hives, but stand them on end and allow the bees to come and find them and clean them out and take the food back that way as well. Um, but if you do it on the hive itself, then you make sure that each hive gets to clean up and get the residual from the honey that it got taken from. And you can also keep the chances of robbing and other stuff from happening. So it's better to do it in the hive, honestly. But you put it on the hive, just leave it there for a day. They'll come up in there and they'll clean it up in that day. Then you come back, got to get the bees back out of there again, shake them out, blow them out, whatever you got to do. And then those frames can be taken Probably wouldn't hurt if you've got the space to freeze them and then seal them airtight and put them away for storage for the year. If you don't, um, you know, then at least take them and store them. But you, you've got to make sure that 
if it was just pure honeycomb and it's white comb, usually the, the moths don't bother too much with it, but you just got to make sure you keep the pests and stuff out of there. So that is kind of the, the long and the short of everything that you got to go through and do and what you would kind of want to do. Now, if you put the, the boxes back on the hives, there is a couple of little caveats and side notes here. Um, you will see some people out there that say that you don't need to harvest honey from a hive and that, you know, it's perfectly fine to leave the honey on the hive for the entire year. And you'll also see some things that'll say, you know, like, well, why? I, I had a listener actually ask me, why do we harvest at a specific time of the year? And that, that last question, that one's pretty easy because it really depends on what you're doing, right? So if you want that nice, lighter colored, lighter floral flavored honey, you want the spring honey. And if you wait and you extract one time at the end of the year, they're going to have adulterated that beautiful spring honey with all of the darker, stronger, even bitter fall and winter honey. And if that gets mixed in there based on your area and region, then you're you're not going to have anything that tastes like what you want. You're going to have something that's a bit stronger and a bit darker. And, you know, there's certain individuals that like it more than not. So if you harvest in the spring and then you have a fall flow and you let the bees keep everything for the fall flow, then you know that you've got that separated out. Or you can do like myself where I literally separate it out as I'm going through. I'm like, all right, this is a darker honey. This is a lighter honey. Or this was harvested at this time of year. This was harvested at this time of year. And you can extract them separately and kind of keep that separate that way. Um, so that's one reason why we would harvest earlier. The other thing is in nature, and this kind of, this is where you get these contradictions in here. In nature, when you build a beehive or when a, when a bee selects a hive in nature, it is usually roughly a 10 gallon volume. That's not a lot. And they make that space work, but there's a finite amount of space. They are limited on how much stores and how much comb and everything they can have in that cavity. And when they do that, that is perfectly fine, but that also limits the amount of heat distribution where the heat can escape them. It limits the amount of space that they have to guard and the colony functions really well. So in the beekeeping world, a single deep box is actually optimum for what a colony would ever need if left to their own devices. That's allowing them to swarm. That's allowing them to fill up the box with honey and kind of backfill into the brood nest and do their natural cycles. A deep and a medium is over what their normal thing would be, but it's still perfectly acceptable for them to be able to guard it and have plenty of food to make it through the winter. Now, if you're in a northern state where you get colder temperatures and stuff and you do need a little bit more honey, that becomes a deep and a deep. But anything above that is excess. And in nature, the bees don't have somebody that comes along and constantly adds more space to the colony. By us artificially adding this space, we encourage the bees to draw out way more honey than they ever would, way more comb and store way more honey than they ever would in nature. And because of that, you then end up with this off-balance scenario. And if you left that on the hive, what you're going to end up doing is if you've got a five or six tower box stack out there and, you know, four of those boxes are solid-capped honey, well, when winter starts, your bees are in that very bottom box and the heat has to go up five more boxes. And the bees have to guard five more boxes. And that means that other pests and predators, as the colony starts to shrink, can get in and they can start fouling things up. They can rob the colony out. They can kill the colony. 
or the colony itself can't keep the heat distribution right because there's way more space than what they necessarily would have needed. And it just, it doesn't work as optimally. So that's one of the reasons why we go ahead and extract back down and leave more of a natural amount of comb and honey for the bees to guard and more of a natural space because we've artificially increased all of this so that we can get a honey harvest and use this to our advantage. So it's only fair for us to go back and revert it for wintertime to what would be more natural for the bees themselves. So that's kind of the, the logic and the reasoning behind that. So, but there you go. That is kind of in a nutshell, your honey extraction process, um, how to know when you need to do the honey extracting, how to go out there and get it out of the hive, how to get the cappings off of it, how to bring it back and how to extract it out. And uh, if you're doing top bars and you're doing crush and strain, that is, it's extremely simple. You use that same double bucket setup that I was talking about, and you literally just take the comb in your hands and you just crush it and crush it and crush it until you've squeezed all the honey out into that bucket. And then you can just drop the wax down in the corner of the bucket, grab the next comb and continue the process. Um, on the cut comb honey, you know, I told you I take it and I put it into the little Tupperware containers. Those all immediately come to the deep freeze and they get frozen and they stay frozen, depending on the time of year that I harvest them, they can stay frozen anywhere from three or four days all the way up to three or four months with no issue whatsoever. You can leave them in there for the entire year with no issue whatsoever. But you want to freeze them because, again, there's those microscopic eggs. You could have hive beetle larvae. You could have wax moth larvae. Anything that's hiding on there that you've now separated from the bees so the bees can't clean it, you want to freeze it to make sure that you kill off any potential things that could still be on the wax. Once you've done that, then you can bring it out, let it come back up to room temperature, and then make any final adjustments that you need to on it, put it into your jars, fill the jar the rest of the way with honey, put the lid on it, and you're good to go. So that is it, kind of in a nutshell. So now, Ken, we'll have you wake up, and uh, you can say goodbye to everybody. <laughs> no, how, how's the jars uh, on the box, on the lids that I cut you uh, to put the jars in? Did you do that, or are they doing anything with it? No, they're not doing anything with it at all. It was too late in the year. Um, yep. I did have the, the teeny tiny little wax strips in there to kind of encourage them to get started. And they did go and actually draw those strips out into these tiny little combs that are barely like half an inch to an inch big. But that was it. They they haven't done anything else to it. Um, it was it was too late. The Really for them to be wanting to draw that comb, especially in a weird shape like that, They've got to do it whenever the nectar flow is really heavy, they're drawing out a lot of wax, and you've cramped them down to the point where they don't feel like they've got a lot of space to encourage them to draw out in these individual little can containers and cavities. And uh, unfortunately for us, we didn't get them on there until like June. Um, we should have gotten them out there like the beginning of May, but we got them out there in June and it, it just was too late. So we started having weird weather fluctuations, the flow ended sooner, and and that was that. So I will end up taking those jars and basically I will bring them back home. I will freeze them again for the same purpose I just said for the cut comb. I'll freeze the jars, make sure that nothing's on that wax. And then I'll just go ahead and let them dry out and I'll put the lids on them and I'll store them. And then next year I will put them back on the colony and let them go through and, and do that. It was kind of the same thing last year. I wanted to try the, um, the Ross round containers mm -hmm. which go into these strange little frames and they've got little circles in there and there's a thin sheet of wax foundation in the center of the circle 
and they'll build out the comb and then you get comb honey in a little container that can be taken out and you can put a lid on it and then sell it that way or you can cut it out of the container and put it into stuff as well. So I tried that last year and it was the same concept. I put it on the hive too late. They didn't even touch it. They didn't even start to draw the wax out at all. So it was too late on that regard. And then I turned around and put it back out there this year, but I put it out of there on the beginning of May and they did draw it all out. And I have beautiful little Ross round containers of capped honey. And so this year it worked, but it was all about timing. And when you get it out there, how heavy the flow is, how strong that colony is, and how much space they do or don't have to build out comb. So, uh, but that one did work. But the the jars, unfortunately, this year it'll that'll have to be an experiment for next year. Yep. Well, we'll uh, we'll go through and we'll wrap up this episode for everybody. And uh, thank you all again for tuning in. And happy honey harvesting if you have not done your honey extracting yet, and you do have the ability to do so this year, hopefully then uh, congratulations and hope it all goes well. And, you know, we look forward to hearing the stories and seeing the photos and, and kind of hearing how it all goes. So good luck out there. And uh, until we talk to everyone again, y'all be good. Y'all be safe and stay healthy. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.